0: Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Fergus in Chicago. As always, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, You can also see all of our episodes as well as the creative work if you go to our website onstrategyshowcase.com. Or if you just want to listen to the episode alone, you can check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Today, we're joined by Ray Patterson. Ray is brand director at Britvic, working on the Tango brand. And we hear from Rachel Walker, who's Executive Global Strategist at VCCP in London their uh, tango campaign won an ipa effectiveness award uh, in 2020 and that's where i came across both of them for those of you who know tango back in the 90s it had been a category leader it had pretty aggressive humor-based sort of boisterous advertising back in the day uh, and it was kind of it was titled you know when you've been tangoed so it sort of shook things up back then with a vibe that was not unlike kind of jackass johnny knoxville's show on mtv that's sort of a similar tone But uh, 25 years later, Tango was no longer a leader. It was a smaller sort of a challenger brand with a much lower percentage volume share. And just like popular culture had changed over the last couple of decades, Tango needed to figure out a way for it to sort of reconnect with uh, popular youth culture in a way that was relevant today, but also sort of maintain their humor and their bold approach to marketing. And the, which is kind of the essence of the brand. So, the result was a campaign that built on the recognition that teenagers hate nothing more than feeling or looking awkward or embarrassed, especially when they don't know how to get out of it. So, the result of that observation was this creative platform that is, Tango helps you regain control in cringe worthy, awkward moments. So, this is the story behind the sticky moments campaign. Enjoy. So thanks to both of you for joining. We um, we're we're talking about a a, uh, a great case study. I think it's really exciting because it's bringing us a lot of insight into sort of youth culture, and um, and what I love about this is the the subtlety of the shift that was made um, in the uh, the sort of communication strategy for Tango in the '90s compared to now. And I think this case does a great job of identifying uh, how you can move from one dimension within youth culture to another dimension of it while while still staying true and and so this will all become clear as we begin to talk about this but uh so i'm really excited about that so ray can you tell us just for those who don't know tango can you tell us tell us about tango and what it actually is yeah of course yeah
1: so um tango is a uk-based uh soft drink brand uh, um it gets sold in, in many flavors uh, orange uh, has been around for a long time so it's a fizzy orange drink essentially um but there's also other flavors available so we do a strawberry and watermelon flavor There's a tropical flavor we're about to launch a new variant called dark berry um uh, and it's a much-loved brand in, in the uk that does hold a place in, in consumers hearts over here whenever you talk to consumers about tango um their faces always light up and and you have um you know, invariably a great conversation. And, and that goes back to the, the brand history that we have in the UK um, and, and some of the great advertising work that's gone ahead of us. Um, but equally, just people have fond memories, um, as you have, Fergus, of, of drinking this product um, in their formative years. And um, yeah, a lot of people take it with them.
0: So um, when we talk about its competitors, Rachel, who will we talking about in the UK?
2: So uh, in the UK... Tango competes in a bit of the soft drinks category. That's called the fruit-flavored carbonates. And that means that it's alongside brands like Fanta, 7-Up, um, Sprite, and Lilt. So essentially carbonated drinks that are fruit-based in their flavor.
0: So I, I always remember, uh, at least in Ireland, uh, we had Club Orange. Is that, is that a brand that's alongside uh, Tango? Or is that not a UK brand?
1: Interestingly, actually, Fergus, uh, that is a Britvic brand as well. So that so both brands are owned by Britvic PLC. They they came to be through a, a, a different journey, as it were. So Tango is a, a UK-based product club, um, predominantly um, just sold in in Ireland. Um, but both very kind of fabric brands, brands that that as, as we say, the nation can relate to. But we don't actually sell Tango in Ireland, and we don't sell Club in the UK.
0: So, when you when you think of Tango, my understanding is Tango had had a had a uh, was was extremely successful in the kind of eighties nineties. Uh, tell us about that time, uh, if you would, Ray, and tell us about what was what was working, what was firing on all cylinders back then.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Tango was introduced to the UK market in in the kind of mid nineteen eighties but it really kind of went from strength to strength in the early 90s. Um, On on the back of, I mean, to be honest, it just hit a sweet spot in time. At the time, the soft drinks market wasn't so crowded. You know, if you wanted a soft drink, you probably went for a a Coke or a Pepsi. Um, There weren't many fruit-flavored carbonates out there uh, at the time. Uh, And then Tango came along. Um, and after a few years being in the market, they kind of they, they decided to take a different tack, and they almost, you know, I'll probably the easiest way to sum it up is they started to act like a beer brand, you know, and, and that really reflected the, the zeitgeist within in popular culture at the time. Um, they're really quite out there, quite brave, um, happy to kind of go against the grain a little bit, and um, whilst always delivering a, a fantastic tasting product. Um, and I suppose in the early to mid-90s, we started to run um, an advertising campaign um, that had the strap line, you know when you've been tangoed. Um, and from an advertising point of view, certainly within the UK, it kind of entered advertising folklore because um, this advert just really, really hit the nail on the head and was very, very successful. And even though it was only aired for a very short period of time, um, it captured the nation's imagination. Um, it led to a lot of mimicry in, in playgrounds and on buses and public transport around the country. And it ended up being banned, in fact. Um, and, and that kind of spawned off a, a series of campaign of adverts um, that just went from, I want to say strength to strength, but just really the creative probably didn't have that initial impact of the first execution. Um, but the brand just went from strength to strength. And then that was followed up then uh, late 90s and early noughties uh, with another really successful campaign called the Hit of the Whole Fruit. Um, So like I said, at the time, market wasn't so cluttered. Um, It was ripe for an entrant that was going to be a little bit um, um, subvert the norms, as it were, and and just basically take people in a different direction. And, and, And Tango did that brilliantly.
0: So I, you know that that early work, and we'll we'll drop a uh, one of the spots in in here. Can you can you describe the nature of maybe some of that early work, Ray? And then we'll we'll go to Rachel because I think it's important to underscore what th- this was. This was there was a certain tonality to this that was very original. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's hard to describe the spot. So <laughs> obviously, you'll, you'll you'll share a bit of the creative, but.
1: I, I suppose at the time it, it did a lot of, a lot, had a lot of firsts. Um, you know, it, it, had, it had taste front and center and, and it, it really, really kind of intrinsically linked the, the, the taste of the product to this, 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 this moment of realization of like what's going on here. It was, It's was, it was quite transformative. You could see a visceral change in, in the protagonist. Um, the, the advert itself kind of mimicked quite a lot of what was going on in, in, in popular society at the time. Um, at the time the Premier League was just kicking off and coming into, into being, um, which was huge for English football. Um, and and there were commentators um were becoming, you know, minor celebrities, and, and they actually used the next footballer to do to, to do a commentary on what was happening in the advert. And that hadn't really been done before. Um, and, and it really captured the kind of the, the advent of Sky Sports, and the advert of the Premier League, and then just the nature of you'll see the spot, this huge orange man um, (laughs) running down the street, hiding behind, you know, post boxes alike and eventually jumping out behind our hero and giving him a good old slap in the face. Um, It was just hilarious, to be honest, you know, so it was a bit of slapstick comedy that hit the mark um, and and people really enjoyed it. And and like I said, there was a lot of mimicry. So there was kids in playgrounds kind of standing behind their mates and as soon as their friends turn around, all of a sudden... They were, they were getting slapped across the face and obviously teachers were in uproar and people weren't happy about it. And, and that's when um, the campaign really grew legs because it was getting picked up in the nationals. It was being played out on radio and TV. And eventually, like I said, it, it eventually ended up being um, stopped and we, we stopped there and it, we changed the execution slightly. And instead of a slap, uh, our big orange um Tango man started. He kissed our hero instead. Kissed so, hero. Right. It's quite a
0: change. Hello, Tony. I think we might use a video replay here. Super, Ralph. Let's do that. Oh, yes. We could be in for a quintessential Tango T sensation here. Why?
1: Yes, Tony. Let's look again. Yes, Ralph. The big orange fellow running from the left, and he gives him a good old slapping. It just illustrates the bite and buzz Oh of real oranges in Tango. Yes, Ralph. Super taste sensation. Smashing drink. Lovely.
0: You know where you've been tangoed. You know, it reminded me of uh it reminded me of the the MTV show of uh roughly around two thousand or so. Um at Jackass. So there was uh this sort of Johnny Knoxville type sense to it all that it was stunts and it was pranks and some of it was potentially dangerous. And there was a lot of sort of, uh, youth culture and the bravado of youth culture, particularly, uh, uh, boys. And that, that was sort of reflected in all of that. Rachel, how would, how would you describe that, that early work?
2: Yeah, I think I agree. I think um, it was it was iconic, that campaign. And if you were an adolescent at the time that the SLAP was running in the early 90s, mid 90s, it's certainly famous and highly memorable. And today's over 45s will still remember it very Um, clearly. 16 to 18 year olds won't really know it at all because they were born after it ran. Um, But yeah, it was bold disruptive, brave, and very humorous. Um, And there was a whole long series of executions, but the one that really um, got the most traction and is most remembered is the one that Ray described with the, called the slap.
0: Um, And and I assume that the whole point of the slap was from a product truth point of view, it was the idea that there was this sort of a, a very intense orange flavor to this, right?
2: That's exactly right. Yeah. So what the advertising was bringing to life was it was humanizing the hits of the taste, and there there was and still is um, a difference in taste profile between Tango and Fanta. It's it's head-to-head competitor because they're both largely orange. They have other flavors in the range, but they're largely orange brands. Um, And whereas um, Fanta is a a softer, sweeter, uh, um, and gentler drink, Tango has a tang, and it is more of a, a, a blaster flavor.
0: So when you look at it from a positioning point of view, uh, Rachel, when, when you talk about Tango and you talk about Fanta specifically, because Fanta was and is the 800-pound gorilla brand. I mean, it, it, it owns the lion's share. So how has Fanta been uh, positioned? I think, uh, well,
2: Fanta is a global brand um, and tango is uk only Um, and fanta is a a highly um acceptable um upbeat summery sort of drink the client brief that we received in 2017 sort of described the the difference between fanta and, and tango is if fanta is a miami beach tango is an urban chip shop and by that i mean like greasy fish and chips
0: yeah, yeah.
2: That was the difference between the
0: brands. So Ray, how do you how do you look at Fanta? I mean, look,
1: Fanta is a they're a worthy adversary, like you say. There, they're, they're a lot bigger than us, and, and they do draw down on um, obviously the the clout of being a, a big global brand and backed by the Coca Cola Company. Um, but within the UK, and then, I think this is the point that Rachel was getting to, is we, we Tango can can have a quite a unique point of view. You know, we can probably say things and do things that Fanta can't. And we've got, we've got permission to do that, you know, because we, we run the brand out of the UK. Um, we've got a history of being on the edge. We've got a history um, of, 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 of doing things differently. Um, and, um, and, you know, humor is in our DNA. So when, when we get that balance right and we, we get the humor right, um, we can do things that Fanta can't. So look, whilst I look at Fanta and, and I admire what they do, I try to tend to focus on how can we be distinctive, how can we be different, um, and how can we offer better, a better choice to the to the UK consumer. Um, and and a lot of the times we do that, but I think we can still do a better job.
0: So it seems to me that Fanta, by the way, you guys have described it, and some of the things that I've seen, Fanta seems to target young girls, and Tango seems to have targeted young young boys. It was that is that fair to say? But
1: personally, I, I, I don't know. If, you want to say anything on this, Rachel? Personally, I wouldn't say that. I think fans is probably it's a perfectly acceptable drink that gets consumed by a wide wide demographic. Um, I think historically, perhaps their creative um was um perhaps targeted a little bit younger. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it was it was male or female. Um, some of their most recent work has actually picked up on on, on Halloween, um, and, and they've tried to target the teen market through the Halloween. Activations and and above the line and digital comms as well, um, but I think historically it was it was perhaps targeted a little bit younger. But from a consumption point of view, it's broadly accepted. As is Tango, you know Tango is a is is a perfectly acceptable drink that'll be drunk by the majority um, of, of consumers. Um, but you're right, I think in the past um, our creative target probably was male biased, and but I think that's something we've looked to address in the latest work.
2: I was going to say, I think that the impression that you have, and I could absolutely see why you think that Tango is targeted male, I think that's happened almost by default rather than by design. I think it's because over the years, the advertising has had a bit of an aggressive edge and always had male leads. So you might think that it's targeting male consumers specifically, but that wasn't really the intention.
0: So let's talk about um, so great success in the in the nineties, and then um, then the business gets a, a little more challenging. Um, Ray, can you tell us around what were the sort of the business challenges that sort of uh, led up to the campaign? We can. I mean, we're obviously going to skip a decade here, but I mean, tell us about what had sort of happened to to the brand in the early knots and what yeah, and I mean, what led up to the brief.
1: I, I suppose it's almost the the antithesis of. How I described uh, our, our success, I suppose, at the time, the the, the market became uh, a lot more complicated. There was a lot more entrance into the market. People were looking for different experiences, and they were choosing other categories. Um, and you know, there was there was just much more choice available um, when when you looked when you walked down a supermarket aisle, or if you looked into in, into the fridge of uh, of your local convenience store. Um, so there was a lot more choice available. Equally, you know, there was a lot more brands vying for that space in your in your mind. There was a lot more drinks advertising on, on, on TV and beyond, um, and we were declining in relevance, to be honest. And it goes back to that point that Rachel was making earlier a little bit, in that you, you could see that perhaps the briefs into agency weren't agencies weren't tight enough. You know, people were probably relying too much on just be outrageous, um, you know, shock people rather than get into true insight and rather than get into um, being quite purposeful about the humor that we would bring um, to the marketplace. Um, So that was the thing that we needed to address, I felt, as we moved into this latest round of work.
0: So is it fair to say that there had also sort of been a sense of fatigue when it came to advertising that was kind of living at the extremes, that sort of boisterous uh style i mean it had sort of had culture moved on do you feel
1: i'd say absolutely so if you look at the 90s in the uk um it, it was quite a hedonistic place um brick pop was all over the charts um there was a lot of female empowerment uh, taking place through things like the spice girls and, and there was a movement called like ladettes where like girls were just going out and just like you know we can do what we want and and I, and I suppose a lot of our advertising and, and a lot of our, our tone of voice was reflective of that. Um, you know, the country was, as I say, in 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 the middle of a in the middle of a kind of hedonistic peak. And and then as 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 the country moved on and we went into the noughties, I think people became a little bit more aware of themselves, aware of their behaviour, um, and and acting in that way probably wasn't as acceptable as it was before. You know, and 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 people did move on. So, when, as Rachel says, we were kind of, you know, the, the briefs were chasing the success of the early 90s, and, and the briefs were perhaps a bit blunt going into the agencies, it meant there was a disconnect between what we were probably seeing out there um, in the wider, wider marketplace and, and the work that we were creating at the time.
0: Rachel, can you tell us about uh, the brief, the original brief that the agency got from the client? Tell us about uh, what was uh, contained in that. What was the goal?
2: Sure. Yeah. So the the brief was given to BCCP in 2017. Um, And I have to say it was actually a really good client brief um, in that it was both very thorough in its analysis of the problem and opportunity. It's also very honest insofar as it was saying, look, this is going to be really difficult. This is a very tough brief.
0: So Ray, what, what do you think? Anything you'd add to that?
1: You know, we, we'd been wrestling with these challenges for, for some time, I suppose, in the business. And I think to, to Rachel's point, you know, when, when we were brilliant, we had been fantastic, you know, world beating. Um, but we had lost our way a little bit. So I suppose what we wanted to do was issue a brief to an agency that, that took all the good things uh, that we could be with um, um, with Tango, you know, that brought to life um, our humor and our personality and and did it in a way that made us relevant again for for you know the world we were living in now and for our our target demographic that we wanted to speak to um but but it's a tough brief in that you know just saying to someone i'll just go and be funny you know that's that's really really difficult you know putting someone or putting a brand on a spot or putting a creative team on a spot just go and be funny and and i've heard people in the past so it's easy for tango you just got to be funny but being purposeful about your humor and, and, and writing scripts and thinking about, you know, what type of humor is it and and how do we apply it to our work? And, and is it the right sort of humor for our, for our target audience now? They're really, really difficult nuts to crack, if I'm honest. And um, which is why I, I can understand why the teams who've gone before us haven't always hit the mark, you know? Um, and I include myself in that as well. You know, I've I've done other campaigns on Tango that, that have not been as successful as this one. Um, and, um, you know, thankfully, I learned from those experiences and it kind of led us to where we are today, which is in a much more positive place. And we've given ourselves a great platform to build from.
0: So, Rachel, you came in about six months after the the initial brief to VCCP. Yes. Uh, what was the, I mean, Ray just sort of, uh, suggested or pointed to the fact that some of the early development work wasn't as strong as you had wanted it to be, everybody yeah. had wanted it to be. So what was the state of the pitch or the state of creative development at that point? What had happened and what hadn't worked?
2: Yeah, so um, there has been quite a period of time spent in creative development working to a brief that centred around the... Um, the observation that the world is a serious place for young people these days. So if I just take a step back slightly. So Tango is a jester brand. It's lighthearted. It has a lighthearted take on life and will say things that other people won't say. So the original brief that um, we started our, our initial creative development to talked about Tango bringing light relief in this serious world. And that had led to a number of different creative routes. But none of these routes was really felt to be quite delivering the magic that everybody wanted for Tango. They were, the brief had been in the right area. And I think we'd we'd got to a point where um, we needed to have a stop and think.
0: Was there some field work that needed to be done to bring clarity or was it just a matter of engaging and workshopping existing, you know, insights that you or, or observations and information that you had already?
2: Well, what, what we did at this point was we began with a, a big team meeting. We put all the work up on the wall in chronological order. And um, what I said was, let, let's start peeling back the layers of the onion. Let's keep peeling back gradually go back through time until we end up in a place where where things were solid so we did this and pulled things off the wall until we were left with um, the idea of um, the well being a serious place um, and one of the roots stayed stayed up on the wall which was an idea about extracting people from situations um, and I, at this point needed to get somewhere fast so what I, I suggested we do is Well, I called it surgical strikes. So um, an initial strategic surgical strike. So research that's not looking at creative work. It's just talking to the audience about what is serious in their life. What do they want to escape from? Um, uh, Everyone in attendance, immediate debrief, put a new brief in the next day. And then one week later, another surgical strike of research. Again, everyone in attendance, we would research whatever routes we had developed in that week Um, And then we would together decide on the winning route, how to optimize. And then three days later, we'd be ready to go to the meeting.
0: How did you make sure you had, because the risk of that, right, is that you end up, especially when you have all these clients that are behind the glass and everybody's flown in or or come in. How did you make sure you had the right people in that room? Because there was probably about six to eight people in each group. Did you guys sort of pre-screen these people for being of a certain uh, attitude or anything like that?
2: We had well. First of all, we had a, a moderator who already had worked on the brand. He'd been involved in previous Tango projects, so that was great. So we didn't have to spend too long getting, getting him up to speed. Um, and then in terms of recruitment, we recruited the core audience: men and females, sixteen to eighteen. I think we might have gone up to twenty, um, but no, they were they were just your regular teenagers and young young adults who came in. Um, uh, but importantly, the other side of the glass, we had our whole team, including all the really important decision makers, so that we could make an immediate decision there and then on the night about what we were going to do next.
0: So Ray, what was, what was your thought when you heard about this, uh, this approach? And what was it like for you as a client? I think that the thing that was really encouraging
1: was that everyone dug in. You know, people rolled up their sleeves, agency side, client side. You know, <clears throat> we cleared diaries, um, we got everyone in attendance. It was a very, it was a very honest approach. It was very collaborative. You know, everyone was being listened to. Um, I think it was a high, high degree of trust in the room as well. To be honest, it was it was quite refreshing, um, and. And I think, you know, we were kind of all in at this point, if I'm honest. So we, we, went, we went through the, the research um, and we went through those immediate debriefs. And, and then from that, you know, we saw light at the end of the tunnel. We were all galvanized
0: behind the right outcomes. We all wanted to achieve, you know, do great work. You guys came in with the with sort of a strategic hypothesis. What were the words you used earlier, Rachel? Was it serious moments or serious situations?
2: So we we were starting with um serious, the seriousness of life that's surrounding the culture surrounding today's adolescents and, and young adults compared to how it was in the mid-90s. and so there has there have been major shifts in society. So we started there, but actually in the in this round of research. Um, We we did have somewhat of an advantage because there there was a, a root on the table when we peeled back the layers of the onion on the wall, went back in time, there was one root left on the table, which was at its heart, it was an idea about people being extracted, like physically, bodily extracted from serious situations so we had something to begin with um, in, in our strategic investigation at this at this urgent point so so uh, but actually what what unfolded was that when when the moderator asked his opening question which was a very open question and he just said to people tell me about a time when you've ever been in a situation that you wished you weren't in you just wish it would go away or or you could escape, tell me about that situation. That was the opening question and everything was revealed from there because um, what people talked about wasn't the stuff that we'd been writing into our creative work. They weren't talking about Brexit and student debt. What they talked about was um, basically times when they had made a show of themselves. The things that people wanted to escape that were awful and dreadful, and please let the earth swallow me up. These were moments of heightened embarrassment and awkwardness. And everybody had a story and it was very consistent across all the groups, male and female, 16 all the way up to 20. All, the, all these different consumers all would share these dreadful, awful stories of awkwardness and laugh out loud.
0: They were were hilarious, yeah. I love it, Ray. What did you What did you take away from from that? Did you feel Did you kind of immediately feel that you guys had something that day?
1: If I'm honestly, absolutely, it felt like there was a bit of a light bulb moment in there because the 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 bit of work that Rachel was talking about had actually been discounted earlier in the piece, and they weren't the front runners when I came in. And then when we kind of used that as a jumping off point, and like say Rachel, you know, and, and the moderator under the skin and it wasn't a Brexit. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, uh, my ability to buy a house and all the rest of it. It was just these personal fails, these personal fails that happen in front of their friends in high stake situations, um, that that really make people just go cringe and make their toes curl and just make them go, ah, oh, I can't believe that's happened. Yeah. But that importantly, a week or two later, it's a hilarious story to tell your friends down the pub when we were allowed to go down the pub. Um, That's right. You know, and, and um, you know, and, and that, I think that was it. It was the fact that people could laugh about it post the event, you know, is the fact that they come they'd come to terms with it. It wasn't that serious in the moment. It felt like, like, like Rachel said, I wanted the earth to swallow me up. How can I get out of this situation? Um, but, but in reality, in the great scheme of things, it's just a great story to tell your friends and it was consistent. It was consistent across the groups, across, you know, genders, across age groups. Um, and, and it was one of those things as well that when, when one person started telling their story, you could see the rest of the room nodding because they didn't have to be there to understand the situation. There was this immediate feeling of empathy, this immediate feeling of I know exactly what you're talking about because it's happened to everyone. And that doesn't matter you your young, old, you know, everyone's had a situation that's been really, really awkward for them, um, and they've just gone, "Oh, I can't believe that's just happened." You know, so it felt universal.
0: So, Rachel, did did you find that that with the I'm assuming creators creators were also watching? Did you then later find that concepts that sort of bubbled up to the top after they got back into developing ideas were really reflective of the literally the many of the things that they had heard in that room?
2: They were, and, and of course, our creatives have been teenagers themselves. Yeah. So we've all been there. We've all, you know, and they're, they're cl- some of the things that we heard in research are very classic, so getting someone's name wrong, being called out in public, um, being at an event where you're trying to make an impression and then you fall over, um, not knowing something you're meant to know. There's just so many ways in which awkwardness can befall you when you are a young adult. Um, And after the research, it was so clear what was going on. It was so clear that this was a very powerful you know, emotional territory that the brand could start to play in and it could be very disruptive and we didn't feel that anyone was talking about this. It was, it was so, it felt immediately rich um, and we went away and did a bit of investigation into awkwardness to figure out well, why is this, why is this so important and what's going on out there? Um, and what became clear was, well, not only, um, don't forget this is a British brand, and not only are we Brits, very we have great capacity and opportunity for awkwardness anyway, in general, because we are quite reserved and polite, and we like to avoid confrontation, and we don't like to say what we really think, you know, so we're being British, we're, we're ripe for this anyway, but if you are also a young adult then you are particularly prone to awkwardness because you're going you you entering adulthood so you're coming across new events firsts in your life very frequently um first um, you know first job first night at university and so on but they're not restricted to first don't get me wrong they can happen anywhere and anytime
0: how did you end up labeling that strategy, did you have a couple of words that you felt really described as sort of a, a new brand platform going forward off of that insight?
2: We said, we just said that Tango brings, um, re- first of all, we talked about Tango bringing relief in awkwardness, but later on through creative developments, we started to realize that empowerment was very important. Of a number of routes that came out of this brief, the one that offered people the most empowerment was the favored route. So we started talking about tango as giving control in awkward situations.
0: So Ray, um, you, uh, you then see concepts the following week, and then so you're, you're now equipped to have that major retailer uh, meeting that you have. Um, was there a lot of fine- tuning to the work that we now see uh, in this case study and that's won the effectiveness award?
1: Um, the, the root or the idea that we, we took in actually was, um, yeah, it was quite an early version, if I'm honest. But what we had was um, that insight, that insight around awkwardness. Um, and, um, and we, we could articulate we could articulate the idea clearly. Um, and we had some stimulus in the room that allowed us to talk around um, how we were going to bring that to life. Um, I think the it benefited actually that, that we had a, a good relationship with this retailer in across multiple functions. Um, so when we went in there and we said, look, this is the plans that we've got for the brand. Um, you know, yes, we've got, you know, great above the line work that we're talking about here, but as well as that, Um, As we said earlier, we were going to be updating our packaging. We were going to be bringing out new flavors um, and and that we were now on a timeline that we felt comfortable that we could deliver with. The the, the meeting actually went um, particularly well. It went well. Um, and, And a lot of it does go back to that
0: people just getting the idea. You know, people right. understanding orcs. universally, universally understood. Right, no matter what age you are. Exactly, exactly. And
1: and 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 the way our audience would always would play it back to us is, is orcs. Oh, that's so orcs. And even the yeah. people we're talking to in this retailer, they were of the age group where they would use that sort of vernacular. You know, um, you know, it was so they understood straight away, and and they could see the richness of the territory um and uh, although we had some early ideas that we took them through then at that point um it was enough it was enough to get us over the line and then and then we moved rapidly to get the work completed
0: so you know the, the thing that that um that rachel the thing that struck me and i touched on it a little bit earlier was the idea that the earlier work seemed to be uh targeting teen boys it featured teen boys it had that it had that sort of tone about it, that bro kind of culture. This work seems, the ones that I've seen so far, feature teen girls, uh, Have has sort of a brand character that's a girl. And it's getting the girl out of awkward moments. Was that a deliberate, uh, were you deliberately trying to find a better balance from where you were to where you want to be?
2: That's a really interesting question. And the short answer is yes, we did want the advertising to appeal equally to young men and young women. But to be perfectly honest with you, we felt that the brand had in the past been so masculine that we weren't sure if we were going to be breaking something fundamental to the brand if we had a lead character who was a woman um, so when it came to casting, the casting reel was actually, um, I'd say mainly men and one women, or was it two women? Anyway, not very many women. Um, but it's when we saw our lead actress, who's called Tanya, we just went, she's so brilliant she's so funny she's so natural she's so street and so confident um, and she was yeah she we just felt, felt that she was the perfect character for tango and it did feel like a brave decision even though when you see it now it looks obvious of course she can be the tanguru at the time the decision felt like a big one
0: so can you describe um, one or two of the spots so that we can drop them in for folks
2: so uh, the, the two lead executions, um, one is called text. And it's a situation where uh, a girl and her, her boyfriend in the sitting room with her mum and dad. But she sends a text. It's meant to go to her boyfriend, Danny, but she accidentally sends it to Daddy. And um, the, the message says, fancy a quickie. And then her dad's phone pings and he looks up from under his glasses and looks very quizzical at her. And at this point, the Tanguru appears and says not to worry. And she helps her style it out and says, oh, it's autocorrect. Just tell him it's an autocorrect mistake. So she says, oh, no, quiche. I love quiche. And she'd also sent a picture of an aubergine. So then she has to pretend that she likes aubergine quiche. (laughs)
1: Hold tight. Text meant for Danny. Sent to Daddy. Relax. I'm your tango. Just blame it on autocorrect. I meant
2: quiche. I fancy quiche. Like aubergine. We should have an aubergine quiche for dinner tonight. I love, I love quiche. Time to tango! I love it. The,
1: se- the second spot was actually the third spot that we filmed on the day. Um, it was one that... As a core team, we really, really wanted to shoot. But there was a lot of reservations um, amongst, let's say, the broader team and certainly the senior members of the team because it was <laughs> the one that was perhaps pushing the boundaries the most. Uh, and it centred around a girl coming back into her bedroom and finding her dad um, looking for something in her bedroom. Um, but she he found some of her personal effects and it became quite a shock to him.
0: Dad? What on earth is this, Amelia? Hold
1: tight. <laughs> Relax. I'm your Tanguru. Just tell him it's a massage. Perfect after a stressful day.
0: Uh, it relieves tension headaches, Dad.
1: Oh! Oh, wow! Could I... Can I borrow this and take this to work tomorrow? Oh, wow! Relaxing, that's lovely.
0: Darling, come and try this uh, head massager. It's lovely. Time to tango, darling.
1: When we we shot it, we shot it very quickly at the end of the day. Um, Everyone was doing overtime, and we think the results were fantastic.
0: That's great. So um, what I think was also really interesting about this uh, is the fact that you sort of took that um, theme of what I would call sort of I almost think of the brand platform as being just simply awkward moments, right? So I think you sort of took that same idea into the com side of it, where you you know in terms of where you place these spots and where the the campaign appeared. can you can you tell us a little yeah. bit uh, uh, either one of you, if you could share a little bit about what was this sort of shared experience media strategy? What was that all about?
2: First of all, we used um we used cinema for its shared viewing experience, which did work well. And in fact, we heard people in groups saying that they talked about the executions with their friends. And there was something very cathartic about talking about awkwardness with other people. So the shared experience felt important. Um, In TV, We used a a cherry picking strategy to reach our audience. So we um, put put the the media in programs that were the right sort of environment for our awkward content, most notably Love Island, um, which is filled to the rafters with awkwardness. (laughs) Yeah, Um,
0: exactly.
2: Yeah. So it felt like exactly the right environment for for the right people to be seeing our executions at the right time.
0: Ray, what do you, what do you think? What was, what, was sort of, what was your thinking around some of these commons choices?
1: I mean, when it comes to the media buy, actually, we, we, we work with the agency. And, and one thing we do do on, on Tango is we all push each other quite hard, you know. Uh, and we, we said that we did want to do something different in, in this particular instance, um, that we had to get cut through and we had to get cut through with our target target audience. And that kind of goes against the principles of that we would tend to employ when buying media. Um, within within my company, where we would look to kind of reach a, a, a broad category sample, um, as um, you know, and hit everyone once, maybe twice. Um, but we felt no. What was really important for us was for us was to land our idea and land our spots with our target audience, so they could be, begin to understand what we were talking about. So, I mean, the, the cinema idea was is really um, we wanted to just make sure that we had a a space where we could, you know, almost immerse people in that particular moment and, and make them feel the cringe make them feel the awkwardness and i remember one girl you might remember this rachel one girl actually said she she was at a cinema and she had to watch it with her mum and <laughs> actually watching it she she felt like excruciating pain when she was watching it but then afterwards she was messaging her mate saying like i you cannot believe this advert that like, i've just seen it at the cinema you need to go and see it and like hearing that in a qual group afterwards was was brilliant um, and and like I said, uh, and like like Rachel said, sorry, just making sure that we were um, getting the right programming that was a hitting the audience, but b felt contextualising that it had lots of awkwardness available. Just just felt like the right thing to do. Uh, and we also done obviously bought a lot of of, of digital, we a, lot of, a lot of broadcasting, video on demand spots as well to make sure that we could we could reach them on other devices. It wasn't obviously just linear TV because that's not where these guys are. Um, and, and, and the results that we got in, in terms of our reach and our delivery and our return on investment were really impressive. And, um, it's a, it's a model that we continue to use.
2: We used, uh, we used Snapchat too. So Snapchat being almost the polar opposite of Instagram and where people will reveal their true selves, warts and all. So Snapchat felt like, uh, the right sort of environment for our messaging.
0: Yeah. So I was just going to bring that up. I mean, how did you, how did you, change the creative execution or or the idea for for social like snapchat instagram etc tiktok So the
2: the, the connecting idea remained the same. It was about giving you control over awkwardness and sharing sharing and laughing about your awkwardness. One of the things we did was we had what was called an interactive lens that allowed people to sort of move uh, a lever so that their face would get bigger and more orange and finally explode if they wanted to share a story with a friend of something really stupid and awkward that they had done. um, And we had autocorrect ads which would play out like the sort of message that we had in our text um tv ads so um oh we had an orc cam as well where you could overlay an awkward uh, filter over the top of a, a message that you send to somebody confessing something awkward that you had done so what we were allowing people to do was share and revel in and laugh about um awkwardness that had befallen them
0: so what did you, what did you guys find uh, Rachel worked best of all of the various media tactics or channels what 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 really played back
2: to launch the idea to establish the idea and our connect, connecting idea about awkwardness storytelling is quite important so the the media that i think worked best were the ones where we were able to use film so that would be tv and cinema But i think that the of of the executions that we ran the one that seemed to get the most traction get laughed about and talked about the most was the one that we euphemistically call massager because it's um it just it's more disruptive it pushes the boat out it's the kind of ad where people when you're certainly when you're pre-testing it when people say can you really do that can you put that out on tv or cinema and and that to us is um is the result we we're, we're looking for
0: so ray for for you um there's obviously a line you you don't want to go over obviously you don't want to be crass or you you want to stay um you want to stay within certain levels of taste i so probably you guys learned that from the the first round but do you see sort of a do you see do you see a thread that you're able to follow when you look a year from now? That you still think that there's plenty of legs for this campaign to go a year to go two years? I mean, there is undoubtedly plenty of legs because there are so
1: many awkward situations. Yeah, you, only, yeah. you only need to spend you know literally half an hour talking with a target audience to get more more ideas and and realise there's more to get after. And we've only touched the surface. Actually, I, I really do. I really do think that.
0: So in um, terms of KPIs, Ray, what, do you, how, how, um, what have you been tracking and how successful uh, has it been to the degree that you can share that? I mean, obviously, from a,
1: from a business metric point of view, obviously, we look at our market share. Um, we've, we've, you know, In the time that we talked about here from, from 2017 to the end of last year, we've, we've grown our market share from 3.2% to 6.3% on the measured read in the UK. Um, clearly as, as a
0: share of, of, of what category? Uh,
1: so that's a share of fruit carbonates category. So the fruit well, carbonates.
0: Uh, that's like a 100% increase share, doubled your share. Over, over, over that period of time,
1: yeah. Over, over that period of time. And we've probably over the same period of time, it's not quite doubled. We've probably added about 75% to our RSV over that time in that particular part in that measured part of the channel which which does cover the majority of the um, of the market but not all um from a penetration point of view we've grown our penetration from about 12.1 in 2017 to about 17.3 at the end of last year so about, about 5 points to penetration you know so these these are these are big numbers um and 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 it's a great start for us but we we genuinely believe there's more to come you know and mainly because of the scale of the category uh, we believe in the brand, we believe in our products, we believe in our advertising, um, and, and we just think there's a, a lot more to get after.
2: So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get bigger and more awkward over time, Fergus, so that's the ambition.
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I've noticed as we've done various episodes with various brands that, uh, and Labrass comes to mind immediately, is the idea that um, it tends to take a number of cycles or a year depending on what cycle of the year you're in, your season is for your brand. Uh, it tends to take a couple of years for the brands to really find their voice. Mm. There's a there's a little resistance to pushing the boat out too far, so they kind of pull back both on the agency and the client side. Uh, but it tends to happen that over, over one, two, into, th- into year three, that you really begin to see uh, the convictions of the brand and the true opportunity Uh, being articulated and i think that's very evident with Lebresse as they've looked at uh, the beginnings of that campaign all the way up to womb stories today is that the the voice got sharper got more pointed it got more confident in its own uh, beliefs and its own values so um i think you'll probably to your to your point rachel you'll probably see it getting a little sharper to work here too
2: that's right. I think when you find your feet strategically, when you know you're in a good place, it's very freeing and energising. And I can, I, I, we we will we are going to go into more cringe. And we've also had the um, the benefit now. We were in a rush in the beginning, as we described, but we've had the benefit now of further investigation with our audience. So now we have really understood the factors that make a situation as awkward as possible.
1: I think that's probably one of the most most exciting aspects specs about this particular campaign and that we've we done, we did good work before, you know, but now we know so much more about that particular, uh, those particular spots. And um, I say putting it all together, I think that the work that we could put out in, in the next round could be even better. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, it's, it's why we've got to hold ourselves to account and set the bar high because, um, you know, this is our opportunity to do some really, really amazing work. And that's what really excites me. I mean, it's 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 all there for us to be had. So, um, like I say, with the strategy is tight, it gives you real freedom in the execution, doesn't it?
0: So, Ray Patterson, brand director Britvic on the Tango business. Rachel Walker, executive global strategist at VCCP in London. Congratulations on your uh, IPA uh, 2020 uh, effectiveness award. Uh, really terrific work, and thank you both for being a part of this episode.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank, thank you very
0: much. And we'll see everybody in the next episode.